0: Have you heard what's happening in Calgary, Canada? Home to some of the world's best researchers and innovators in life sciences, Calgary is advancing healthcare solutions to solve global challenges. Calgary's dedication to the life sciences sector is evident in its labs, hospitals, schools, and the minds of its people. With its top institutions producing internationally recognized research and more than 110 life science companies backed by a highly skilled pool of talent, the life sciences sector is accelerating innovation in Calgary. If you're a bright mind or a bright company, Calgary is just the place for you. Take a closer look at calgarylifesciences.com. As 2021 fades into the history books, it'll be remembered as one with exuberant IPOs, punishing aftermarkets, and a lingering pandemic that once again is turning the annual JP Morgan Healthcare Conference into a virtual event. We continue our annual tradition of sitting down with Stat senior writer Adam Feuerstein to discuss the year that was in biotech, the best and worst CEOs of 2021. And what's ahead in the new year? Adam, thanks for joining us.
1: Danny, it's always good to be here. This is like our regular year-end thing. It is. It, it <laughs> wouldn't be Christmas
0: without sitting <laughs> no. down to chat. That's right. Talk about the year past and the year ahead. Yep. The pandemic is raging, and J.P. Morgan is going virtual. I think we should be clear that we're recording this at the end of 2021, not 2020. (laughs) I know it's like deja vu, isn't it? (laughs) Um, Boatloads of money going into biotech this year, and yet the major biotech indices are down sharply from their highs. What kind of a year will 2021 be remembered as for biotech?
1: Um, I guess it depends on your perspective, right? I mean, if you're an investor in publicly traded biotech companies it's probably a year you want to forget except maybe if you know all you owned is some penny stocks or you know uh covid related stocks seem to do okay they didn't um, start but everything everything stocks. else did awful so <laughs> so from that perspective it was a bad year i mean from a you know from a from kind of a industry wise you know if you kind of step away from the investment side you know i guess it was an okay year wasn't i don't think it was like a year that will stand out in anyone's mind um, but you know, it was uh, there was maybe some steady progress on various on various projects. You broke
0: from tradition this year and said you were not naming a worse biopharma CEO for 2021, but instead named 10. Why is that?
1: Because <laughs> it was just a good year for bad bumper, CEOs. Bumper right? <laughs> you know, it's like why why pick one when you can pick 10? <laughs>
0: <laughs> oh, we're not going to run through the list, but I, I did want to talk about the one CEO who made the list, who's A non-biopharma CEO. That's Kathy Wood, founder, CEO, and CIO of ARK Investment. Why Wood?
1: Yeah, you know, I was trying to think of a way that I wanted to sort of encapsulate some of the things I think that were um, bad or detrimental to the sector this year. And, um, you know, and I have nothing against Kathy Wood, except that, you know, I think that sort of her style in investing, and particularly what she did in kind of actually starting in the late- 2020 sort of sort of the fall of 2020 and going into early 2021 in terms of you know just huge amounts of you know billions of dollars of uh inflows into her funds and she was buying up a lot of those CRISPR genome editing companies you know so CRISPR therapeutics beam uh, editas etc and you know so the stocks were going up uh you know these are not it's interesting right she you know she's known as a tech investor but, you know, when you pour a bunch of money into uh, Google or Tesla or Apple, it's, it's a little bit different than if you pour billions of dollars into these genome editing stocks because, you know, they're just, they're just smaller companies. And, and what we saw was basically just created this kind of, you know, genome editing bubble in the beginning of the year where the valuations of those companies got really out of whack um, with, with, with kind of with their, with their progress, uh, you know, in terms of the clinical development of their of their of their treatments. And so, you know, if you look at the stocks, those stocks, particularly in sort of January and February of this year, they just really uh, rose and then and then kind of crashed, right? Bubbles tend to crash. And and so that's what happened. And I think that sort of, you know, that definitely contributed to uh, a lot of the underperformance, uh, you know, for the entire year. And so it seemed fitting to to put her um, on the worst biopharmacy CEO, CEO list, even though she's not a biopharma CEO. Uh,
0: I, I think paired with Wood is the Wall Street IPO bankers. I've, we've seen a, a flood of new issues. You don't normally like to talk about IPOs, but what happened here this year?
1: Yeah, I mean, there was just a, there was there were a lot of IPOs, and um, there were a lot of particularly of IPOs of companies that were still in the preclinical stages. You know, so these are companies still testing things in test tubes and labs and mice and monkeys and et cetera, right? Um, Really, really super early stage companies going public. Um, And I think there was just a flood of those. And, And, you know, what you saw was a lot of companies just seemed to like, you know, these, they would hit, they would make their debut on Wall Street and they would, and the stocks would just get sort of flipped around and there was not a lot of There wasn't a lot of fundamental support for these companies. There wasn't a lot of people who were sort of wanting to buy them for the long term. So, I mean, what's incredible this year? um, I think it's something like seventy percent of the IPOs this year are trading below their offering price. It's
0: just,
1: it's just, it's, it's a, it's a phenomenal statistic if you think about it. um, Just how many of these, you know, just essentially broken IPOs.
0: You know, we've seen this this appetite for preclinical companies in the IPO market for a few years now. But you know, there was a time you could not get an IPO without a product or at least uh, a very late stage, phase three. That was yeah, pretty confident of getting a product to market. What do you think the longer term consequence of that's going to be?
1: Well, I would hope that you know one of the consequences is these companies stop stop going public. <laughs> You know, it's I mean, this is not a like you said, this is not a 2021 phenomenon. It really it really sort of started picking up in 2020, uh, and then continued into 2021. So then if you look at just sort of the last two years, there's a just a sharp increase in the number of companies, preclinical biotech companies, going public. You know, if you compared that to, you know, 2019, 2018. Um, you know, I would hope that um that the underperformance of those companies and kind of and the lessons learned from that, the painful lessons learned, um, would would kind of stop some of those companies. I mean, look, there's always going to be some companies that are preclinical that are going to go public, but I just think that you know it just doesn't serve anyone's purpose. Um, there's a ton of money in in there's a ton of money still flooding into biotech, you know, even on the private side, right? So maybe these companies should sort of mature a little bit before they. The IPO, and I think you probably you probably will end up seeing that. I think the uh, you know the the so you know w- w- what do we call it the IPO window, right? Everyone likes to use the the window analogy. I think the window is kind of shut, or it's only open to crack <laughs> at this point because the because the pace of IPOs has certainly slowed down.
0: Well, the best biopharma CEO went to Albert Borla of Pfizer, as a follow up to their COVID vaccine success. We saw the development of Paxlovid, which just got approved. This is its treatment for COVID-infected patients. What do you think is most impressive about his performance this year?
1: I think it's just really execution. Um, you know, just the ability. You know, if we think back a year ago, you know, we're we're recording this de- December twenty third, twenty twenty one. If you think just exactly a year ago, we were. I mean, literally, remember the, the vaccines had just been you know, had just received their conditional approvals, right? they just gotten their EUAs. And so we were just watching kind of the rollout, the initial rollout of the vaccines. Um, and to sort of, again, to sort of fast forward 12 months to think, you know, how many billions of doses have been produced, put into people's arms? Um, and then on top of that, to develop, you know, really what is a very effective uh, oral antiviral, you know, pill to treat COVID infection um, that's a pretty amazing, uh, you know, those are two of pretty amazing accomplishments if you think about it. Um, so, you know, and then, you know, Pfizer had a great year, their stock, I mean, we, from an investment standpoint, you know, their stock obviously did great this year. So, you know, I, I it wasn't, it, it really, it was not a, it was not hard to pick him as the the best biopharma CEO of 2021.
0: As I think back on the biggest stories of the year, you know, at the top has got to be Adihelm, the Biogen Alzheimer's drug that won controversial accelerated approval. To, despite the objections of an FDA advisory panel and lack of evidence of its efficacy, what's the market had to say about the drug now that it's been available?
1: Well, yeah, I, I spent a lot of time <laughs> this year writing about, uh, uh, writing about Biogen, writing about um, I Sometimes I feel like that's all I did in 2021 is is to cover, you know, we, you know, we at stat, we sort of, we definitely, it was, you know, this was a, I mean, this was a sort of a plan that we had and we knew that it was a big story coming into this year, you know, coming into June when we knew that the FDA decision was, was going to be handed down. I mean, we, you know, we, we thought about this, like this was a really, in terms of, Non-COVID stories. It was probably the biggest non-COVID story in biotech this year. I mean, just because of the implications and the need for for Alzheimer's treatments, and so we knew that we were going to devote a lot of time and resources to reporting out that story. Um, and we didn't necessarily know where the story was going to go, um, what directions we were going to go into um, when we, you know, when when the FDA decided to approve. Uh, um, but yeah, we spent a lot of time. And so it's been a fascinating story. And, you know, I mean, as, as we sort of exit the year, I mean, where do we find Biogen? We find Biogen cutting the price of Adjuhelm in half. Um, that is obviously out of not something that they want to do, but uh, the drug is certainly not selling uh, as well as they had hoped. I mean, it's, it's you know, it's generating a fraction of of the revenue that they had expected, it's forced the company to, as we've reported, and as they've now kind of announced themselves, is, is it's 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 forced the company to restructure. I mean, they're looking to cut costs, and that's including layoffs of employees. That you know is trying to save about five hundred million dollars in the next year, uh, and so they're pretty that are kind of at a crossroads. Now we have you know a very important um, Medicare reimbursement decision coming up. Uh, actually, just in a in, well, you know, just in a few weeks, in January twelfth, we'll get a preliminary view of how CMS is going to handle reimbursement for Home and that will be an important inflection point to see where the drug goes. Um, but yeah, so it's it's been, it's been a fascinating story, and we obviously we've written a lot about the sort of inner turmoil and dysfunction within within Biogen um, and that has resulted from all of this Home stuff.
0: Do you think there's lasting blowback
1: at the FDA over this? Um. You know that's a good question. I, you know, I I I don't know how to answer it, uh, you know, but I think we'll we may we may have some idea later on in 2022. You know, because there are will, there'll be at least one, maybe two, uh, amyloid you know anti-amyloid uh, antibody drugs. You know, going up under review at the FDA. We've got Lilly's Denanemab. You know, probably will be the first one. And then, uh, you know, Biogen and Isai, their Japanese pharma partner, um, are going to bring Licanumab, um, you know, their other, you know, sort of version 2.0, um, uh, they're going to bring that in front of the FDA too. So we'll see how the FDA um, reviews those and whether uh, they take a, a more conservative stance um, or whether sort of the Adjahelm approval set this sort of precedent. And that's the precedent that they'll follow. So I think that'll be really interesting to see both how, you know, what the FDA does and then sort of how the, how the market accepts um, those drugs.
0: Joe Biden has picked former FDA chairman Robert Califf as his choice to once again lead the FDA. He's a cardiologist by training. He's got strong ties to pharma. During his confirmation, he told Bernie Sanders that drug prices are way too high in this country. Uh, I'm not sure how meaningful that is since the FDA doesn't regulate drug pricing. But what do you think Califf will mean for the industry?
1: I, I think it's probably business as usual. Uh, you know, I think he's somebody who, you know, he, he look, he's, he's been an, an academic. He's an academic scientist. He's been in industry before. Uh, so I think it's somebody that um, biopharma um, is a known quantity, I guess I would put it. Uh, and so someone that they're probably comfortable with, um, you know, the FDA faces a lot of challenges. I mean, it's been rough, it's kind of been rough sledding, you know, and, and, you know, with COVID and everything, we know why. Um, so, you know, I don't know if there's going to be any sort of major changes um, under Calif. He's not, I don't see him as sort of like some kind of like bomb thrower necessarily. Uh, I don't think anybody sort of anticipates that.
0: The jury is deliberating in the Elizabeth Holmes case, the, Theranos founder was accused of fraud. Um I, I can't remember, but I'm guessing she may have made your list of worst CEOs when you're I think that. way
1: back, yeah. <laughs> as,
0: as, <laughs> you think, as you think about the money going into biotech today, are there lessons investors should take from the Holmes case?
1: Well, I, I I think, you know, one of the interesting takeaways from Theranos, and this is not new. I mean, this is going back to when you know, everything there blew up was just like how gullible a lot of investors were, um, and sort of believing the the theranos story without actually getting any sort of definitive proof, right of of what the machine could do. Um, so we'll see. You know, I, it's it's interesting, right? They're 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 deliber- deliberating the the case now. It's at the jury right now. So um, I haven't necessarily followed every twist and turn of the trial, but uh, you know, it's certainly it'll the verdict should come down in any day.
0: Well, as, as I look back on your coverage over the past year, in terms of technology, the, the one word that seemed to crop up again and again was CRISPR. Uh, what excites you from a technology point of view? What, what could, would it be CRISPR? Would it be something else that's on the horizon that you think uh, might be transformative?
1: Uh, well, you know, I, I put John Leonard, who's the CEO of Intellia Therapeutics. He, he was on my best CEO list; like he was sort of a finalist. And the reason I put him, I like to I like to try to put a scientist or a sciencey type person on that list. And and he made it this year because of you know Intellia was the first company to show uh, in vivo genome editing, right? So they actually edited the DNA of these uh, you know edited DNA inside the body. Um, you know, before all this, what we what, what happened you know, what was done is either the, you know, the cells are taken out, the editing is done in the lab, put back in the patient, or it's done locally, like in the eye, um, or it's just some ways where it could be reached that way. Um, so it was pretty, it's kind of a pretty milestone achievement to be able to show that you can actually edit the cells inside um, the body. And that's, so that's, that was, I think that was one of the bigger scientific advances of 2021. So, and I think it points to a really interesting future because of, of diseases that you can reach and things that you can do with it, you know, and there's all kinds of different, you know, there's all these different, I mean, I call them flavors of, of CRISPR or genome editing that are, that are, that are right now kind of undergoing still very early, right. Still in the labs, um, still being tested in animals. But I think uh, what we'll see next year is we'll start to see some of those data uh, in, in people and in, in patients. And so um, I think, Right now, a lot of people think of CRISPR, and some, to some extent I do too, just think of it as kind of this monolithic technology, but there are a lot of different ways to go about the genome editing, uh, and uh, we'll we'll start to see, you know, the advantages and disadvantages of each of these different technologies within kind of the broader um, genome editing or CRISPR umbrella.
0: As I mentioned at the top, J.P. Morgan's going virtual once again this year, Be cost of COVID concerns. Do you think there's risk to two years in a row that the event will lose some of its power and allure going forward?
1: I mean, I I do. I was, I personally was going (laughs) this year. uh, And, you know, we had, we definitely, it's that we had decided that we were stepping back because we didn't think it was going to be as big of a year, even if it it did happen in person uh, because of all the COVID risks and everything. And so, uh, we were only sending a single person. And so that, that person was me. And, and usually we'll have like a whole team of people go out. Uh, I mean, maybe there'll be, but maybe, Danny, maybe there'll be like some sort of like blowback. Like it'll be like a rebound, you know, maybe in 2022 or or sorry 2023, that if it is in person, like after two years being virtual, like so many people will want to go, that it'll be like the biggest year ever.
0: Well, you've that been through you've been through this once as a virtual event. Do you you approach coverage of the event differently as a virtual Um, event?
1: Well, I think you have to, right? Because it's so much of what makes it a unique experience is just kind of being on the ground and running into people or kind of being at a party and hearing things, you know, and it's the same thing that you hear about virtual medical meetings, right? Like you can, you can cover the presentations, and you can or you can cover like, you know, whether it's at a medical meeting or an investment meeting like JP Morgan, like, you know, you can log in to your computer, you get on the Zoom or whatever, and you can watch it and report what's going on. But it definitely it sort of loses something in that virtual world, right? Because you're not you're not in the room, you're not getting a reaction, sort of this visceral reaction from people, uh, you're not running into people, you're not just like hearing the gossip that people are talking about, whether it's at a party or you know, somewhere in a room or in a hallway. Um, so I think it lacks that. And um, and that makes it less exciting to cover. Uh, you know, but companies still have to put out their news and companies still have to uh, let people know kind of what their plans are for the year ahead. So a lot of that stuff just kind of goes on, whether that happens virtually or whether we do it in person. You know, all that, that, that sort of machinery of, you know, kind of just setting the tone, setting an agenda for the next 12 months will still happen uh, regardless of, you know, the format.
0: Well, what will you be watching at this year's J.P. Morgan and, and beyond?
1: Uh, well, I'll be watching my computer screen. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and I'll probably be doing it from my house because our office is, you know, we're still not back to the office and now it's probably delayed even longer because of Omicron. Um, but I think, you know, just again, I, I like, I like what I probably do every year is just like, I like to hear how CEOs, uh, tell the story of the company that they run and, uh, and think about what they've said in the past and how the stories changes and how pro- maybe how priorities change, um, what, well, what drugs are they talking up? What drugs are maybe they're talking down or maybe not talking as much about, um, So all those kinds of things that you sort of pick up on, you try to pick up on, um, is what I'll be looking for. And then, you know, hopefully there's a good bit of news. I mean, it's always a nice when you when you get up on that Monday morning of J.P. Morgan and there's a, you know, some maybe some big deals happening or something that you can write about. So we'll we'll hope for that.
0: Beyond J.P. Morgan, what are you going to be watching in 2022?
1: Uh, you know I have to think about that. I haven't even like written my 2022 preview yet, so I need to do that. Um well, we mentioned the Alzheimer's stuff. So certainly that will carry over from this year and we'll you know not only kind of how Biogen handles Aduhelm, but again these these new these other Alzheimer's drugs and they're what happens to them. I think that will be a big story. Um uh, you know gene therapy, you mentioned the gene therapy stuff. I think uh, you know as it evolves, it's not been a great year. Uh, Maybe it's not been a great two years for gene therapy. You know, there have been questions, safety issues that have come up, particularly with, you know, sort of the viral delivery of of gene therapy. And um, even on the manufacturing side, there have been some delays and hiccups from on the manufacturing side. So I think it's a year where um, you want to sort of see some of the sort of maybe the less glamorous sides of gene therapy kind of see, you know, again, on the manufacturing, it's not something that we talk about a lot, but it's certainly important um, and see whether some of the stuff can be figured out. And, you know, I think the biggest question with gene therapy is just whether or not, um, these can be successful commercial products. Um, you know, we've seen setbacks there, particularly in Europe. Um, now the U S should be a little bit more permissive, um, in terms of pricing and, and reimbursement, but, uh, we really need to see, you know, if you think about gene therapy, um, you know, just still relatively only just a handful of them on the market. And so we don't really know whether what that business model is gonna look like. So I think that's one thing that I will certainly be looking out for.
0: Adam Feuerstein, senior writer for Stat News. Adam, thanks as always.
1: Thanks for having me, Danny.
0: Thanks for listening. The Bio Report is a production of the Levine Media Group.